Hi, I'm Ellie Kushner from Dancewell Podcast, and today I'm back with Elizabeth Sullivan, who we spoke with recently about her work as a success coach and wellness mentor for pre-professional dancers. And in the course of that conversation, um, we briefly touched on negative self-talk. Elizabeth was saying how negative self-talk is one of the things that drives dancers to her when dancers find that they're being overly critical of themselves and they start to detect that that's really getting between them and their um, goals or success and achievement. So um, that's something that I also have been interested in in my work. So we're going to have a little chat about negative self-talk and um, see where it goes and help you hopefully get a a better understanding of what negative self-talk is, how to prevent it, the benefit in avoiding it and improving um, your self-dialogue and making it more positive. So, um, so what's an example of negative self-talk? Um, so you're in the class and you're having difficulty doing something and your, your messages that are going through your brain are things like, this is too hard, I can't do this, um, I've never been able to do this, there's no way I can do this, I hope she doesn't look at me because this looks awful. Like that would be a right. stream of thought, negative self-talk. So it's, you know, all the time we're having dialogue with ourselves and it's sort of the um, quality of that dialogue, whether it's positive or negative. Here's one that I used to do a lot. Uh, I remember standing in the studio as a young child and saying, I'm having a bad class. <laughs> you know, it was, it, we're 30 minutes into a two-hour class and I've said, I'm having a bad class. So this is another form of negative self-talk. It's not always, um, I'm so bad and I'm terrible, but it's um, talk that frames your activity in a way that doesn't enable you to work towards achievement. So by saying, I'm having a bad class, I've sort of written off the rest of class. And I remember actually, even as a young person, it was a big breakthrough to me when I said, you know, I probably shouldn't say that. First of all, I think I'm saying that because I feel insecure. Mm. I'm a teenager and the room is full of people who I want to impress from my teacher to my peers. And I feel stupid that I can't do this thing well. And so if I say I'm having a bad class, it's a, it's like a, giving myself a pass and you know you go up to your friend and you say oh I'm having such a bad class and I really I kind of caught myself in that action of just being insecure and realized that I really probably shouldn't say that anymore yeah. and started even at, at, at in retrospect I'm a little impressed that at that young age <laughs> I was able to say you know I should probably just say I'm not turning well today or um that that didn't go well. Mm-hmm. And so by making it more temporal, more specific to that moment in time, you open up the possibility for improvement, which isn't there when you say, I'm having a bad class. Yeah, yeah. And that's where fat talk comes from too. Oh my God, I'm feeling so fat today. Yeah. Or we didn't say feeling. Oh my God, I'm so fat today. Because everyone around you goes, oh no, you're not. And my dancers do this all the time. So it's like, what are you doing? You're just fishing for someone to give you something, some other kind of information. So 
Yeah. Why don't you give yourself that other Why information? Don't you give and that, well, that is the kind of, I think, the, the basis of even wanting to talk about negative self-talk ever with someone who knows about these things is to figure out why am I doing this and what can I do instead because this is not helpful just like you were saying it would ruin your whole class it gave you a pass which I suppose is like a little bit of a relief but it's also like you're stuck in there for another hour and a half what are you going to do with yourself like you might as well turn things around at that half hour and say hey like that didn't go well I like that one but there's like, a, you know, there's another 90 minutes to go and I right. can choose to turn things around for myself. I have that power. Well, and one of the reasons that we do this is related to perfectionism. Mm-hmm. So um, some of the examples of self-talk have to do with all or nothing thinking, mm-hmm. which a perfectionist, as dancers um, are said to be prone to, uh, perfectionism, the perfectionist is prone to saying things like, if it's not perfect it's not worth anything. So that's sort of all or nothing talk. So that's one reason we do it. Um, The other thing is something you sort of talked about in your interview last time, which is that dancers, I don't think, are the best at self... um, We don't have a lot of tools for self-critique. We're always in a classroom. You know, if you think of a professional musician, they might work once a week with a master teacher or a coach and then the rest of the time they're they're engaged in self-practice whereas even at an elite professional level at the age of 40 dancers are going into a classroom with a teacher every single day and we're so dependent on external feedback that we're we're not so good with evaluating our own performance yeah yeah and I mean, I have dancers say that to me all the time. I'll say, you know, well, what's going well? What's improving? Well, I don't really know. My teacher, no, they'll say, my teacher said, I'll say, well, well, what do you think? You know, what do you think? And that's where um, that anecdote came from, which I'm going to tell again, where at the end of the school year, a woman who I've been working with the entire year, who had made massive strides in her technical and, artist- and artistic progress all year, was told in her final evaluation that she had made no progress whatsoever. And while that was extremely painful to her in the conversation that we had where she told me about it, she wasn't crying. She was angry. And she said, that is ridiculous. I know how much progress I've made because you and I have been tracking it for the whole year. And that, to me, was one of those moments where it was like, oh, when people figure out how to track their own progress and they're paying attention and they're learning how to evaluate themselves both positively, you know, positively, hopefully, after the negative so you can then they know what they've done. And that, that alone, that process of learning how to critique yourself but then change it around means that the negative self-talk has less, it has more value in that you can get something out of it by learning how to work with it and turn things around. Whereas if it's just, I can't do it or I'm having a bad day or it's not perfect, and that's the, that's the end of the conversation with yourself. Exactly. It's a door that closes. And in the best case scenario, which isn't even best, is that you've given yourself a pass on that day, and that's not a very good outcome, even if that's the best case. Yeah, that's what I see a lot of is um, students think that they're being really tough Mm -hmm. because they're so mean to themselves, Mm -hmm. but really they're, like we keep saying, it's a pass. It's a way of saying it's out of my control and I can't do anything about it and it's over and done with and it's already been decided. 
And, um, you know, one of, we, Elizabeth and I both feel that one of the, when you first start thinking about negative self-talk and you're trying to change your talk to something more positive, it can be very off-putting because you think you have to be a Pollyanna. You have to be really, everything's great and I'm wonderful and I can do this. And So I know, fell out of that pirouette. No big it's deal. It's okay. I'm still awesome. But no, that's not positive self-talk either. That's maybe blind arrogance. <laughs> that's <Or> just silliness. <laughs> silliness. So um, really what positive self-talk is aimed at is not this sweeping positivity in contrast to sweeping negativity. It's about real critical evaluation and the ability to say things like, I'm still working on that. So instead of saying, I can't turn, you say, turns are something that I really struggle with. Mm -hmm. Because inherent in that phrase is, this is something I struggle with, it's active, I'm working on it, it's a challenge for me. So it's not about saying you don't have challenges, but it's about a language that's more active. Right. Well, that makes me think of two things. You remind me of the second one in case I forget. <laughs> the, the second one is um, uh, thought stopping. Yes, I'm writing it down. Um, so the first thing that makes me think about, I hope I remember the first one now, is, um, oh, in, okay, so I really like this idea of dancers are really hard on themselves because they're going to be super perfectionists and like, and they think that this, and not just that they think that this works. This is what they've been taught and coached over all these years. This is what works. You do it wrong, you beat yourself up. You push, push, push. You keep trying. You get frustrated. Some schools are like, you should be crying because if you're not crying, you're not working hard enough. That's a personal pet peeve of mine for any teachers listening. Um, and the idea is that this is how you work hard. Right. So. Just beat it. Beat it. Beat it. Just beat the dead horse. Beat the pirouette. Beat the combination with a, with a stick until it, until it breaks and then it comes forth in this miraculous artistic moment. Suddenly, you have the coordination to do that step. Well, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. If you've had the experience where that worked, it's nice to think that that worked in spite of the poor process that you used to get there, not because of the process. So another way to think of it is the hardest thing for us to do in a studio when things aren't going well is to step back emotionally, admit that this is hard, I'm having a really hard time, this is not the way I wanted it to go. Maybe you walk out of the studio for a couple minutes, splash some water on your face, take a deep breath, and then go back in and engage with the work. That's the hardest thing to do, is engage with the work in a way that's not emotional, but is strategic. Exactly, Why strategic. Why is this working? Not, it's not working, it's not working. I'm, I'm a bad person, I suck at dancing. Right, so I like to think that like the engagement with the work is where it happens. It's, it's easy, now here's the contra, <laughs> here's the non-intuitive part. It's easier for a dancer to get frustrated and get upset and break down into tears than it is for a dancer to step back, even from a teacher who's encouraging that, and say, I'm not going to do that. I always do that, and it doesn't lead to good results. I'm going to step outside the studio, take a deep breath, have a drink of water, come back in and say, okay, let's think about what's going wrong here. That's really hard. That's so well said. That's so true. And... You know, I've 
taken to lately saying that um, switching to a more positive self-talk seems more gentle. You're being more gentle with yourself, but you're also being more rigorous. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's about rigor and, and, like you said, strategizing. and um, You're not giving yourself that easy out that mm-hmm. says, this is just a bad day, or this is a bad class, or this is a tough combination. You're saying, no, no. I feel Why is this a problem? This Why am I struggling? Yeah, yeah, it's okay to be frustrated. Everybody, we're all human beings. Like it's hard to do things that are hard, but to to step back and then separate that the feeling of it from the technique of it or what you're actually trying to do, and go back in and re-engage. And that's where the real work happens, and that's where the real progress happens. Yeah. And negative self-talk has no useful role in that scenario. It is an impediment to doing better. Yeah. And so when I Think about it, and when I talk about it with my dancers, I always say the goal isn't to, to build yourself up into this huge ego balloon because that doesn't work either. Mm-hmm. All you want to do is look at what's the outcome. Realistic. What's the outcome? How do I get to that outcome? And the idea is negative self-talk gets in your way. It, it, for any of the number of the reasons that you just mentioned, it steers you off course to working hard for the rest of the class because you've given yourself a pass. It keeps you in the state of emotional frenzy that like, it's not working, I can't do it, I'm the worst. It's, it's something that doesn't lead to a positive outcome, which brings me to my second point. Thank you for writing thought stopping. <laughs> there are most, so thought stopping, this is one of the techniques that you use to intercept negative self-talk, and it is a technique, and it can be very useful in that sometimes we can't stop the negative self-talk. It starts... Then you get emotional about it. And then you beat yourself up. for you. I heard this podcast of how bad <laughs> negative self-talk is, and now I'm doing it. I'm so bad at not negative self-talking. <laughs> and this always makes me think of, well, I'm not going to give you the name of the TV show because I'll date myself, but it makes me think of this TV show that I used to watch where this, this woman in the TV show had like a pep-up song. And every time she was in a really difficult situation in her head, she would start singing this song. And it was peppy and it was cute. And I remember thinking like, oh, it's so cute. And then, I, and then for some reason, once I was in the ballet studio, this is in Boston, and I was having a moment, like one of these negative moments. And for some reason, out of just, you know, whatever, this song popped into my head. And it was like, you know, the song was going in my head and I was like, oh, oh. And then I just, I just realized that all the frustration and all the negativity was just gone. Yep. Because something else had taken its place. So thought stopping, the idea is that you, you pick a word or a phrase or a, a visualization or a song, and whenever you're in that cycle, you just insert this other thing in. And what it does, because of the way the brain works, is that we think we can think about many things at once, but in fact, we, can, we are not natural multitaskers. We only really think about one thing at a time. And the minute you put that thought in, all the other stuff is gone. Yeah. And it's just a way of, it's not a solution, it's just a band-aid for the moment to get out of that cycle, and then hopefully yep. at that point, once you've learned the other strategies for positive self-talk, you can, you've interrupted the negative and you can kind of shift over and to actually, the positive. And actually, what, what um, neuroscience is starting to reveal is that some of these things that we used to treat as band-aids are, are actually more than that, because I know when I was in a 
phase of doing a lot of negative self-talk, very perfectionist oriented, obsessing. Mm. Mine was like ruminating and obsessing mm. over mistakes and, and saying over and over again, like, oh, I should have done this and I should have done that. And if only we had done this, it would have worked. And um, yeah, and I felt like I couldn't stop it. Mm. And so I had a phrase, I think I gave myself a sort of like a mantra mm-hmm. that I would mm-hmm. say instead. And um, I mean, what we're finding is that Picking a scab um, sort of neurologically encourages you to pick that scab, Mm -hmm. you know, so not only are you giving yourself a window to cool down and get distracted, but you're really, um, it is a stopping, you're you're interrupting a cycle where if you allow yourself into that cycle, you're reinforcing it and reinforcing it so it becomes more habituated and more automatized. And so while you might not yet be doing positive self-talk, you've at least um, interrupted the habituation of the negative self-talk. And that in and of itself takes down the level of of continually reinforcing that negativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What are some of the other um, techniques? There's also these things of like images of like, um, put it on a cloud and float it away. Mm, That's nice. You know, because sometimes... You, yeah, you can't help, especially in the beginning, you can't help but have these thoughts. Right. They're, they're, they're your, your, your habit. And so you have the thought, but then you float it away. So for some people, that doesn't that's really work nice. for me because I'm not good. But see, right. you're already liking it. No, so these nice. are I very mean, personal. One of the ones that my, one of my, I have a bunch of dancers who like the wet wipe. That's uh-huh. my favorite one. Oh, yeah. Where you imagine that you have like a wet wipe in your hand and it just goes straight over your brain and it just wipes off all the... They like, like, one is like, it's all written in like this dark black ink and like yeah. these really nasty, scrawly kind oh, of. Wow. And it's just like, yeah. you know, it's just gone. Right. And she'll do that. She'll be in class and she'll just, she'll does this, she does this thing where she'll turn around. Cause you know, of course, the cleansing breath is also one of those interrupters yeah, breathing. that's really, yeah. and also takes down your physiological <laughs> kind of stress. So I'll have her in class as you. You're always allowed to turn around and walk to the back of the room in between combinations, so do that. Take the cleansing breath, get the blood pressure down, do the wet wipe across the brain, and she's like, "By the time I turn around to do the combination, I'm like in a totally better place." Like, That's great. That takes ten seconds. Yep. I actually had a, a a dancer on stage who used to do it. You know, at the end of the variation, then you like run over to the corner to start the coda or whatever to do the menage at the end. Yep. And it was like she was uh, she could she could turn her back to the audience and run up stage for the thing. And like that was the moment, the breath, the wet wipe, because it worked in the classroom. Right. And she was, what am I going to do on stage? I can't do it on stage. I'm like, yes, you can. Right. Yes, you're you set. can. <laughs> you, yeah. you always have a moment where you're back to the audience. So little things like that. And what you said is nice about how different things work for different people, because one of the things with, with interrupting negative self-talk is that it requires a lot of experimentation. Mm-hmm. Because if you take a tool that someone else gives you and you think it's kind of dumb. Yeah or you feel like it's not gonna work, then right. it's not gonna work. Right. So uh, also like a big part for me that I've learned over the years of talking to people about this is to really encourage experimentation. You, you don't like putting your negative thoughts on a cloud? Don't put them on the cloud. Maybe right. you wanna put them in the ground and stick a big, uh, big manhole cover on top of them. Like whatever works for your personality, but it has to be something that you come to through experimentation mm-hmm. and you'll know when you hit on something that works. Yes. Like, I, I, do, I use mantras all the time. I used a mantra through childbirth. <laughs> I used a mantra, you know, like, through my yoga practice areas that are just really hard for me. 
And finding the right one and sticking with it is, I mean, it can just shift all the energy and all of the thinking from one direction to another. And as much as you might know it when you hit on it, I think it's also important to note that these are skills. Oh, yeah. These are in this category of psychological skills. And like any skill, these are not gifts or inborn Mm -hmm. talents. These are skills are things that you can work on to improve upon. So, you know, when I first, like, yeah, the imagery things didn't work so well for me. And I started doing this mantra and I I still kind of thought it was silly, but I, I kept doing it. And through practice, it became more comfortable. I also started to have a better understanding of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, I'm doing something that's making me feel better. That mm-hmm. sort of self-empowerment thing. And then it got to the point where that had become so habituated that I was out of that phase. Right. So, you know, I think it's also important to acknowledge the the skill component, just the way you don't start with triple pirouettes and fuete turns. You start with plie spring releve, right. you know, and you build up to it. Right. It's the same thing with these right. psychological skills. Absolutely. And that's, that's part of going back to kind of the way I work in coaching. And I think most coaches work is that you, you know that it's going to take a certain amount of time for people to really come into their own with these skills. So you start small. You start with having them try certain things and they come back to you. It's like, okay, this worked. Like, I like this. This didn't really work. Okay, let's try something new. And you, mm-hmm. So you're slowly over time incorporating new ways of dealing with yourself and your environment. And if you practice every day in your class, if you're going to do plies every day, then why shouldn't you be tuning into your messages Mental, every day? Yeah. And then if you, you see a pattern, which you will when you start paying attention, you recognize the pattern, you recognize the trigger. Oh, it's this thing that sets me off. It's the way the teacher says this thing, or it's this step that sets me yeah. off, or it's this part of my body that every time I see it, it's is standing in this place in the room. Exactly, it's, like yeah, that overtime. that friend who I really have a good time with, but doesn't actually leave me feeling good about myself. Right. Or, yeah. Right. Like any number of these things can be triggers to negative self talk, and you become aware of them, and then over time you slowly start adapting and adopting new skills, and then you you meld those to work for you. And so, and then at some point, yeah, you may find that like, oh, I'm not really doing that. I'm not in that cycle of negativity anymore. And you may not even need the skill, but you have it. You have it. You have the tool. You can go back to it in moments. Like I have some, I have a couple of dancers who've done a lot of competitions and their, their psychological skills are really strong because they've been working on them with me for years and they've gone through these extremely stressful competitions where they've had to pull them all out and use them. And then they go into a school performance, and they're like, I'm fine. (laughs) They're like, I have no problems with this. I know my role. I have my costume. And everything is running the way it's supposed to run. And so they're fine. So it's like, then they go into another situation where it might be more stressful. A company audition, maybe, for the first time. And so we pull on those skills again. And we kind of brush them off, them yeah. off a little, and like okay, <laughs> spruce them up a little, well, and it's funny, mature people, them with the age like, of the oh, student. Right, I haven't used a mantra in forever, and I'm and I'm thinking that's great because you haven't had to use a mantra, but you remember how to use it. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's burnish it up a bit, and so she's all ready to go with the the skills again in place for the stressful audition. So like, it it really is. Um, 
it's, it should, I think that it helps to think about these skills as components of your training. Yeah. They should be included in your daily class and rehearsal rituals yeah. so that you get used to using them. Exactly. And then when you need them, they're right there. Right. It's not like you just sit down and go through your notes, oh my God, what did Coach Elizabeth yes. say six months ago? It's like, I'm using well, them and I know how to use them and I'm very comfortable and I know what works for me. And something they say in psychological skills training is you, that... You, you have to habituate them before the stressful event oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. you cannot expect to be in a highly aroused, stressful situation and suddenly use this skill that you haven't practiced. You <laughs> have to work. practice them in really low-stake situations mm -hmm. so that then they're really a habit and it's your new way of talking to yourself so that then when you're stressed, it's not something else you have to think of about on top of everything else because right. you're not thinking about it. It's just your new way of of doing things exactly exactly and that's why I think um, I always like it's just funny if I had to make a list of all the people who came to me in a point of crisis yeah. versus the people who come to me pre-crisis right and I mean I can tell you right now like pre-crisis people avoid we avoid crises together yeah whereas the people who come in the crisis I mean it's always it's better to come than not come but it's right. like okay we, we gotta like pull out the big guns because you're in the middle of this huge crisis that might not have even happened if right. you know you had these tools and skills to right. begin with so hopefully the next crisis can be avoided exactly now. exactly yeah. so like I always I often will have dancers say well my mom signed me up to work with you but I really don't know why because like things are going really well and I'm like yeah. this is the perfect time because right. this is the time when because things are going well you have energy and you have you know, you have calm, a calm mind. This is when you can actually learn and build and understand in a calm environment. And then when the stress comes, which it will, you know, for some people, like I start working with kids when they're like 12 and they have, they just love everything. You know, they're, they don't have any self-confidence issues. They never have negative self-talk. They're just like, because kids that age are just not, they're not there yet. But then they turn 16 and it's like, I knew it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> and then, they, but then they're ready for it, you know, right. and they're able to like, see themselves through that period because they're like, you said this was going to happen and it is. And like, <laughs> I know what to do. And like, that's a big deal. Yeah. In an environment which traditionally is not very supportive of those transitions, especially yeah. for girls. Like, yeah, of going it's from a big puberty to puberty and yeah. like, all the things that happen. Like, there's a lot of stuff that comes up that all of a sudden is really hard to manage that you didn't think you were ever going to have to deal with. Yeah. And you do. So it's great to have skills already rather than... Yeah hitting a crisis and then being like, oh my God, what do I do? Yeah. Um, before we wrap this up, let's yeah. just, um, what are your mantras? I don't remember mine exactly, but it was something along the lines of, something along the lines of like, this is just one moment. Mm. Or I've heard other things like, my thoughts do not define me. Mm -hmm. Things like that. But it can also just be, I like peanut butter and jelly. It can really be something, I mean, I don't think they work as well, but it's like in the realm of thought stopping. It's just about putting something else in your head. What yeah. do you use for your mantras? Yeah. Well, in yoga, in difficult poses, I will say I'm light as a feather. I'm light I, as a feather. I don't know why. I have no idea right. why that works, but light as a feather is one that it just takes me out of my, of the heaviness the of weight. my head. Yeah. Right? It's not even my body. It's my head is like, yeah. is oppressive. Um, another one I used to say, which is from a book that I read that I really liked, is I'm not my brain. Yeah. That's so like much that. of my, my thoughts do not define me. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I am not my brain. And yeah. when, and honestly, this is, this is crazy. That's great. Um, but I actually, 
I will find names that I like the sound of, uh -huh. and I'll just repeat it in a queue. Yeah. So for some reason right now, NPR is Shamitha Vasu, like that's <laughs> when I'm in a, in a, in a yoga stuff and trying if to like, only she knew. I know, I'm just like, it just sounds to me so, yeah. I don't know, it sounds organic and, and beautiful, and it just, it, what it does is it keeps me from thinking about when I'm done with this, I have to go home and wake up my daughter, and then I have to make her breakfast, and then I have to pack her lunch, and I have to remember not to pack her dinner, and I have to, she needs this other thing, and I can't forget to do this thing, and I have to wash the dishes because of that's what happens to me. I don't stress too much anymore because I'm not in that, I'm not in a competitive environment anymore. But I still have a brain that runs and runs and runs like everybody's. And yeah. so sometimes I just have to repeat Shamitha Vasu <laughs> just to like say, I am in the moment of this yoga pose and that's all I need to do. All I need to do awesome. is be here. And that's that, that works for me. So. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So maybe Elizabeth Sullivan will become your next mantra. This is Elizabeth Sullivan. She can be found at easullivan.com, www e a Sullivan, S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N.com. On behalf of Marissa and myself, Ellie Kushner, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. We'll be releasing bi-monthly episodes with an emphasis on exploring 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Have questions or want to get in touch? Email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.